Check this out. This is your resume? Yep. I want you to give me a job. Because uh, I'm, I'm good at cleaning the whole house. I'm good at cleaning your... Uh, I'm good at making dinner. I'm good at making... Uh, I'm good at cleaning the toilet. Why should I hire you? I just want to be hired. I'm really good at pushing buttons. Okay, hired. You're hired. Maybe we switch chairs. No. You need fire now. Ah! No. I was just joking. <laughs> You're hired. How much we had to pay you? Like for the hundred money. Hmm. You had to pay me this much money. Or you're not going to work for you. You fired! <laughs> so, you fired for real. Ah! Not joking. Well, you know, sometimes we just generally don't know how to recruit people. Uh, sometimes we really don't know necessarily what we're looking for. Sometimes we don't really know the questions to ask. Sometimes maybe we're not even in a position to recruit others. Maybe we're trying to be recruitable, and yet we don't know what attributes to display. We don't know what characteristics we should exemplify in our lives, in our work. Uh, many times we find ourselves in that moment where uh, we aren't sure of how to bring someone alongside of us, and we're not sure if we're really someone worth bringing alongside of someone else. But our work needs to continue beyond ourselves, right? The truth is that our work shouldn't end with us. We've been focusing all semester thus far on how God has this greater purpose. God has this greater work for us. We've been talking about this call that we have to create and to cultivate a culture that glorifies the Lord and also benefits others with our work. That's what we're called to as believers. This lifestyle, this, this work that brings not only glory to the Lord, but good to other people around us. And yet, at some point, we have to walk away from any particular line of work, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago about how the nature of our work will change from time to time, from season to season. The work that you do right now in college is very different from the work that you had when you were nine years old, right? At that time, you were, your work was to, by golly, I guess, tag people a lot and crawl through their legs when they were tagged. I don't know. Like you had a very different work ahead of you. Your drawing and coloring it was just, it was a lot different from the drawing and coloring that you do now. Uh, if you're a liberal arts major. And so you have these different things ahead of you, of which I am one. You have these different things ahead of you, and our work is going to be different. But when we leave that work, what do we do? How do we leave it in a good spot? How do we make sure that that work continues, even in our absence? How do we do that? This evening, we're wrapping up this series on Faith at Work. And we've been walking through it over the past five weeks in an attempt to better understand how does God want our faith and work to merge? How does he want them to work together? Because many times, although we see them as separate, the Lord, through Scripture, has shown us that they're very much connected. They're very much intertwined with one another. Because it's only by faith that we're able to work for both the, good of, for both the glory of God and for the good of others. Last week, we looked at the difficulty of work, though. We looked at how uh, many times we can feel discouraged in our work and in our endeavors when we hit those moments where things feel fruitless or they feel pointless. We looked at how, though, we as believers can avoid that disappointment, can avoid that discouragement if we keep in mind that we have a higher purpose, we have a higher calling 
in the midst of those minor setbacks and those perceived issues and, and road bumps. This evening, as we're wrapping up, we're looking at, I mean, what's the final destination of our work? What's maybe not necessarily a lot of the you know, philosophy and ideas and principles behind it, but instead, what's just the practical destination of our work? How do we make sure that we're working in a way that we're able to bring people alongside of us and allow that work to continue, to allow that good endeavor to continue even in our absence? What do we look for in those people? And then as we're moving into our next phase, how do we behave or become that desirable person? Because the truth is that many times our greatest impact that we'll have as people, the greatest work we'll perform, is generally not what we do. It's generally not something that we accomplish. Instead, most of the time, the greatest work we can have, the greatest impact we can have on our world is who we raise up. It's not something we do. It's someone we raise. It's the people that we leave behind and the way that we've impacted them, the way we've prepared them and set them up for success. So we as believers need to be focused not just on our own personal work and purpose. We need to be focused on finding the next person for God's purpose and on becoming that next person somewhere else. This is seen all throughout Scripture. One of my favorite spots is in 2 Kings chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or an app you want to turn there, we'll be there uh, a lot this evening. 2 Kings chapter 2, where we see, uh, we're catching a glimpse of this journey being taken by two prophets in the nation of Israel, a guy named Elijah and a guy named Elisha, two of the greatest prophets that they ever had, two of the most powerful prophets that the Lord ever raised up in Israel. And they're walking together, they're, they're moving on a journey, and we're told by the narrator, by the author of the book, that this is a very important journey because it's just before the Lord took Elijah up to heaven in a windstorm. And so Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah told Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So this is a very important journey because it's essentially their final journey. Somehow they know this. We're not told exactly how this has been revealed to them, but they somehow know that this is the final journey. This is Elijah's final time before he's going to be taken up to heaven in the windstorm. Spoiler alert, that's what happens. And so we see that Elijah, in the midst of this final journey, turns to Elisha, one of his students, his primary student, his aide, his servant, over the past years and years of ministry. He turns to Elisha and he says, hey, I'm going to go to Bethel, but you should just stay here. Just stay here. And he's not trying to ditch Elisha. Okay? He's not just trying to like get out. He's like, man, you always eat all the Funyuns. I don't want you on this trip. Like, you know, just let me walk in peace. You know, it's not it. He says, no, I'll... I want you to stay here because, because Elijah is essentially testing Elisha's faithfulness. He's testing his commitment. He says, do you want to just stay here because i got to keep going? And Elisha says, no, I'm going to come with you. And as they move to the next town, as they move to Bethel, we find that even more people are aware of the situation. The, the members of the prophetic guild in Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that today the Lord is going to take your master from you? And he answered, yes, I know, be quiet. Which is awesome, I love it. Where Elijah's looking at these dudes, and the, this is a, uh, basically what we would maybe think of as sort of a seminary. They were started by Samuel back in his day. Uh, he started these schools to train up these prophets, these, these individuals to serve the Lord, uh, to be his messengers to the nation at that time. And so there's uh, some people come from it. Again, we don't know how many, we don't know how they know this, but they ask Elijah, like, hey, did you know this is it? And Elijah's like, yeah, shh, shut your face. I know. Like, just leave it alone. 
because I'm in this. I, I know what I'm doing right now, and I'm committed to staying with Elijah. Again, that's why Elijah asked him, like, hey, maybe you just want to stay, because he's testing Elisha's faithfulness with the task at hand. And yet Elisha, by sticking with him, by refusing to fall away, by refusing to stay back and maybe just take it easy, he's proving that he's committed to it. And that's what good work requires. Good work requires commitment. The only difference between our background and our hero costumes for our goblins are pretty much as the hero lightweight chainmail, which was conceptually thought and designed and produced for this particular film. It's a chainmail that's one-fifth the weight of steel, so the character's able to wear the costume for a long period of time without feeling any fatigue from any exhaustion or weight. Well, this is chainmail. Lots of it. This is a Moria Orc suit that I'm working on at the moment. There's 13,000 rings in one of these suits when it's finished. And it takes approximately three days to make up one of these suits. Some of the other suits are considerably more because the mail is a lot finer. Here I am putting together plastic rings and I love it. Absolutely mad as a meat axe, but I love it. And for me, it's been about five months of non-stop. Just the calluses on the ends of the fingers. However, we'll get there. <laughs> Welcome to the bubble. Welcome to the bubble. This has been our home for what, last year? Two years. No, we only had the bubble for about a year. And the hostage. Oh, and the hostage, yes. We can't forget the hostage. He still hasn't coughed up his secrets. That's what what commitment looks like, all right? That's it right there. Living in a bubble, tying up a Smurf doll, and resigning yourself to the fate, committing yourself to the task of putting together little plastic rings to make this mail. Uh, If we kept watching, we'd see that they actually uh, put together a total of about 5 million of those little rings. Uh, If they were placed end-to-end, it would stretch 10 kilometers uh, which in American is just a lot far. And so we see that they have committed themselves to this task. These are two guys. I mean, I would want on my team, right? Like I would want them legitimately on my team because they are committed to the task at hand. We want to see faithfulness in the people that come up behind us. We want faithfulness with the people around us. It's an incredibly powerful attribute to bring to bear in your work. As you're looking for the next person to replace you, as you're trying to be someone who's worthy of recruitment, you need to be faithful. That's what we see in the life of Elisha. That's what we see in chain mail makers. That's what we see in the life of another uh, biblical figure, a guy named Nehemiah, who we're going to be studying uh, after spring break. I'm really excited. It's going to be about a month from now that we kick it up. But when we look at Nehemiah, this is what we see. We see this commitment not only to the task at hand, he's not only committed to, filling, to fulfilling the Lord's will in his life, the Lord's call in his life, the, the purpose and plan placed in front of him, but he's committed to that task, and he's also committed to finding committed people that he can mobilize and move towards that mission, people that he can bring alongside of himself to build a new community that would eventually create a new culture. And it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible story. And we'll get there after spring break, and I'm really excited. But we are looking first and foremost at this attribute, this, this quality of being faithful, of being committed. 
we as believers should make sure that we are being faithful and finding the faithful to replace us. And when I say faithful, I don't mean that you're like without fault or you're perfect or it's like, oh yeah, he always does the right thing at the right time. That's not what, faith, that's not what faithfulness is. You don't need perfection, but you do need to be committed in both your work and your attitude. Right? Meaning you need to have a good work ethic. You see the task at hand as something is put on your plate and you work towards it. You accomplish that task. You're faithful to at least try your best at whatever it is in front of you. That's just good work ethic. You don't procrastinate. You don't put it off. You don't slide under a rug and hope people forget. You, you do the task at hand. But more than that, you have a good attitude about it. Right? Many times maybe we've known people or we are people who maybe will do the work, but by golly, everyone's going to hear about how hard it was for us to get there, right? We're going to talk about like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I'll do it, but it's fine. I guess it's just like the third paper crane I have to make. Oh, gosh. I had a terrible example this morning, and I did it again this evening. I went with origami. This morning, I just talked about selling scooters, and it, I don't even, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> seventh week of the semester. Uh, but we've seen people like that. We've seen people who are committed maybe in their actions, but their attitudes are just the worst. So we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be those people. We as believers don't want to exhibit those qualities. We want to make sure that we're looking for those faithful people as well to come up behind us. And maybe some of us have never even thought about that. But I would encourage you this evening, let this be the first moment as you're maybe a senior leaving, as you're looking towards your senior year, as you're looking towards maybe even just getting out of the organization you're in or off the team that you're on, whatever it is, be thinking about who's going to step up and take that mission that I've been running after. Maybe I'm leaving my job after this May, but who am I actually looking towards? Am I just trusting that my supervisor will find somebody to like fill my spot? Or am I actually actively looking for other people to bring alongside of myself to give them the same purpose, the same goal? Am I looking to raise up that next worker, that next leader, that next vice president of my organization, the next social chair for my sorority, fraternity, whatever it is? Am I looking for that person? You should be. You should be looking for that person that can continue the task at hand. And when you're looking for that person, you don't want to just find someone who's faithful, right? Someone who does good work with a good attitude. But you need to find someone who's available, right? When Elijah's talking to Elisha, he says, hey, you should stay back here. Elisha's like, nope, coming with you. They go to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, well, Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he replied, as certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. And some members of the prophetic guild in Jericho approached Elisha and said, did you know that today the Lord is going to take your master from you? And he answered, yes, I know. Be quiet. And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he replied, As certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they traveled on together, and the 50 members of the prophetic guild went and stood opposite them at a distance, while Elijah and Elisha stood by the Jordan. So over and over and over again, Elijah's saying, Look, just stay here, just relax, get some bread and oil and whatever else we eat, uh, grain, and you should just be here. And I'm going to keep going. And Elisha's like, no, I'm going to stick with you. Sticks with him to the next town. Sticks with him, sticks with him even when Elijah says, I'm going to go to the Jordan. That's not a city. That's just like an area. Right? It'd be like if I said, hey, we're all going to go to Navasota. I mean, like, technically that's kind of a city, but, you know, like, it's, it's a vague area south of here. And if you're like, yeah, okay, let's go. So much, so close. That's their slogan. But we're going to go to Navasota together. I'd be like, wow, that's really impressive that you stuck with me even as we went into the wilderness 
of the Jordan slash Navasota. And because Elisha is with him, because he makes himself available for that ministry, this is what happens. Elisha took, Elijah took his cloak, folded it up, hit the water with it, and the water divided, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So because Elisha made himself available to participate in the ministry, because he was committed to it and made himself available to participate in the work that it required, he got to experience a miracle. They're staying at the Jordan River, this big river. All this water flowing. Elijah hits it with his robe. The water parts. They get to walk across on dry ground, dry riverbed. It's miraculous. This is incredible. And Elisha got to be part of it because he made himself available. You want to be looking for, you want to be a person who's not only committed, but someone who makes himself available, finding, actively seeking out opportunities to be involved in the work at hand, to be involved in the mission in front of you. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I was actually going here to Grace Bible Church. I grew up in College Station, uh, and I uh, started coming to Grace later high school. And so I actually went uh, to, on Sunday mornings. I was right across the little sidewalk here in the youth building. And one of the things that we did uh, at the end of every single year is Senior Sunday would roll around in May, and they would, let, uh, they would set aside where seniors would get to just share parting advice, parting words of advice to all these other high school and junior high kids. And generally, when people were presented with this opportunity, they'd get up and they'd talk about like, oh, well, make sure you just love your friends. Your friends are the best friends you'll ever have. And as we go on, you know, like they just like, they kind of like break down. They're like, it's the best people. And then you graduate and you go to college. You're like, wait, who did I hang out with? Oh, that's weird. But you just, you, you have those moments where it's like, look out for the stairs, that slippery third step in the chemistry hallway or whatever it is. They would give these kind of like parting pieces of advice. Uh, or how to date, or how to ask someone a prom, that kind of thing, uh, and then kind of go on about your life. And every once in a while, someone would be like super spiritual and be like, well, go to Bible study. Okay, great. Like, oh, six. But we would have these moments where or we had this Sunday where the seniors get to share. And so when it was my year, when I was a senior, I was graduating, I uh, put some thought into it. I actually, the night before, I sat down and I thought, okay, well, what do I really want to say? Like, what would I really share? Having walked down uh, a number of different paths over the last few years of high school that just were not the best paths, uh, discovering through trial and error uh, that really the Lord's way is best, uh, what would I want to say in this moment? What would I really want to you know, leave these students with that I've been walking alongside of and in this youth group with over the past few years? And so when the Sunday morning rolled around, I stood up, I had my time at the mic, and uh, I just shared about some sunglasses that I had um, that I had lost, uh, and they eventually were found, I believe. I think I found them in, a, in some classroom randomly the last day of school. Uh, and it was, very, it was a very traumatic story right? as I'm talking about these sunglasses. Uh, they were so wonderful. I got them from PacSun, because uh, that's where you go when you're in high school to buy things, and that's, you know, that's what I wanted to, to be a part of my life, and yet they're gone, and but then they were found. But, it, man, it was, it was rough going there for a little while. Uh, and then that wasn't just it, though. That was just like, so don't, don't lose your sunglasses. 06, woo, you know, roller. I can't remember what our slogan was. But I had this story that then I connected to. Well, you know, and the reality is that you, you've got all these things in your life that are temporary. You've got things like sunglasses. You've got things like people. You've got things like relationships. You've got things like classes and grades that are all going to end at some point. They're all going away. They're all going to just kind of pass away. Uh, at some point, even with this world, this world's going to end. Those things are going to end. You're going to graduate this school, and you're not going to hang out with the same people. You're not going to do the same things. You're going to be involved in the same clubs. All those things are ending, and that can be really intimidating, and that can be really traumatic, unless we remember that God continues. 
that the Lord himself is bigger than any of these other things. He's bigger than the possessions or the people in my life. He's eternal. His love for me is eternal. His commitment to me is eternal. His faithfulness in my life is eternal. His plan is so much bigger than my plan. So we can trust in that. So that was my story. And I was planning on moving from there to going to uh, go to A&M, uh, uh, going to the business school. I was, doing the, I was in the PPA program. I was going to go through, wanted to become a professor, go through grad school, become a professor. Um, but then the Lord just sort of changed all of that when I was a freshman uh, at Impact Camp. Uh, just sort of the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me and kind of showed me, no, there's the, kind of this new direction of where you're going to uh, make yourself available. You're going to dedicate yourself to vocational ministry. And so because of that, I decided, well, I guess I'll, I'll help out with youth here. And so I did that for a couple of years. Then there was a job opening for a part-time worker in the junior high ministry. And so I was like, well, I mean, if I want to do ministry long-term, I guess that would make sense to at least try it out. The youth group was very developmental for me. I want to give back. And so I put myself up for the job, and it came down to me and one other guy. And in that moment, uh, I found out after the fact that Zach Nigliazzo, who was our youth pastor at the time, he's, still, he's a pastor here at Grace, our children's pastor, and uh, he was looking at myself and this other guy, we were both leaders at the time, and he said that one of the determining factors in that moment, in that decision process, was he thought back to my sunglasses story that I had told two years before. And because of that, because of what I shared, which was essentially a sermon intro, looking back, I realize now that's what that was. Essentially just setting up a, a talk. I mean, we could do it this evening. We could just talk about, you know, the point of how these things in the world go away. The Lord is eternal. We all would pull out sunglasses at the end and be like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like that, worked, that would work. And so he thought back to that, though, and he remembered that. It stood out because, it was, you know, well presented, I'm sure, for a senior at least, uh, and it was something that made him kind of think, well, you know, I think I'm going to roll the dice on Jacob. I'm kinda, I kind of want to know where he's headed. Maybe there really is something going on. Maybe there really is this trajectory that the Lord's placed him on, so I got the job. So essentially, that job led to a full-time job, which led to youth at Southwood, which led to college here, and essentially, I am standing here right now because I talked about my sunglasses my senior year of high school on Senior Sunday. I mean, that really is. What, that's one of the major things that I can point back to, one of my mile markers in my life, was the fact that I saw the opportunity to present this material. I saw the opportunity to speak, and I already kind of had leanings. I was like, I kind of, you know, I think I could teach. I think I want to kind of do that sort of thing. I'm, I'm committed. I've, you know, I've seen the Lord work in my life. I want to share that with other people. And I saw that opportunity, and I seized it. And little did I know, the Lord was using that to shape me and mold me. The Lord was using that to set my trajectory that would lead me even here. We want to be people who are available. We want to be people who are actively seeking opportunities because we never know what opportunity is going to set us on the trajectory that we've been wanting all along. And maybe we don't even realize we want it right now. Maybe we don't realize that the Lord's calling us here or there or that you know, we're necessarily built for this type of work or this vocation or this thing. But if we're actively looking for opportunities, we're making ourselves available for that formation. We're making ourselves available to, to hear from the Lord, to be shaped and formed by his hand, to be the clay in the potter's hands. That's why this next semester, we're even shifting a lot of our Bible studies here at Grace within our college ministry. It's nothing like super major. We're still going to be studying scripture. We're still dedicated to studying the word of God in community. 
But what we realize is that our current structure, we have a lot of groups that are just sort of, they're just rosters where we have a leader show up. We hand them the list of eight names. We're like, okay, go teach these people. Go, go be a leader. And it's worked fine. I mean, it's what we've done for years, historically years. And it's, it's successful in some ways in terms of people learn and grow and, and study the word together. Those are good things. But what we realize is that we're not setting people up to necessarily carry forward the vision and mission that God's given them specifically. So we want to do something that gives them the opportunity, sets them up for success in that, to, to take the purpose that they have on their heart and, and run with it and set up a mission that's able to carry forward much better than a roster ever would. We want people to be able to, uh, you know, focus on a dorm. We want people to look at a dorm on campus and say, you know what, Dirty Dunn Hall, I'm going to start a group that is going to minister to those people. It's where I went in college. It's where, you know, it's maybe where we lived freshman year or whatever. I'm going to grab my buddy or my friends over here, and we're going to start a group for the people that live in Dunn Hall. And that's something that can carry forward. That's something that can continue, because by golly, some of you have lived in dorms that you, you know the Texas A&M doesn't destroy dorms, ever. Like, ever. <laughs> ever. Like, sometimes, but mostly never. And because of that, right, that mission can carry forward. We want people to be able to look at with some of our leaders this past year. I've talked about it before. They looked at just a whole major. They looked at engineering majors, and they thought, you know what? There are, will always be engineering majors at Texas A&M University, just always. That's, even if they're not taking, they're just there, always. And so we want to set up a Bible study that reaches them. Because that's a vision that can carry forward. That's a purpose that can continue even after those leaders step away. And they've had wonderful success. They've had wonderful response from all these different students, all these different engineers. They're like, yes, I will do that. Let me crunch the numbers. <laughs> Sketch it. Yes, let's do that and build a bridge and whatever else engineers do. Right? That's what they want to do. They're like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Because they see that there's a vision and a purpose. And people want to be a part of that. People want to be a part of a mission. People gravitate towards a leader that knows where they're headed. So that's what we want to do at Grace. That's what we're starting in the fall. Giving people freedom and flexibility to set that vision for themselves. Even if it's just reaching your friend group. Even if it's just for like my roommates and, and this, you know, this girl house that we're friends with and this other guy house. We just want to come together. We want to stay the word together. That's great. And what's beautiful about that is that friend groups are, you know, there's always fluctuation. There's there's movement within friend groups. There's going to be younger people that show up or someone's little brother or sister. There's going to be a cousin, a friend from an organization, the, your little from your fraternity, whatever. It can be a part of that. And that's something that can carry forward. Even after you graduate, that group can continue. Breakaway was a Bible study in Greg Mott's apartment. I'm in a class right now with one of the guys that was in that, bi- in that Bible study. He's like, yeah, super weird. Breakaway's like a thing now, huh? He lives in Houston. He's hilarious. But we have these things. We set these visions ahead of ourselves, and they can carry forward if we set them far enough out there. But if we're just so focused on ourselves and on our work and what we can accomplish and what we want to do with our people, that doesn't carry forward. It's not as effective. So that's why we want to change. We want to start setting people up to carry forward those visions. We want to, be make, we want to make opportunities for people to chase after. We want to be people who are making ourselves available, looking for opportunities to learn and grow. That's why one of the wonderful things that we have here at Grace are we have men's and women's Bible studies that you can join, that you can be a part of. Even if you don't want to be in a college group, that's fine. We have so many wonderful options. We have a men's group called First Call. It meets on Tuesday mornings, 6 a.m. Oh, right as the Lord is 
arising from his slumber, I'm assuming, at 6 o'clock in the morning. These guys meet together. I did it for a year, and I don't know if I ever will again, because my goodness, that is difficult. But it is, oh man, it's so wonderful, because you're in these bowels with these men, these hardworking men that are a few stages ahead of you, so wise that you can meet with. We people come to us all the time. They're like, oh man, we want to, I would love to have an older guy or an older lady like pour into me and disciple me. And we don't just do, we don't just set it up like, oh, here's a person's name. Because that's, that's not how relationships work. Instead, we tell you, no, go join a men's Bible study. If you're a, a lady, you can join a women's Bible study that are like all throughout the week, not at 6 a.m. in the morning. Congratulations. Uh, that was well planned. Uh, but we have these opportunities where you can go and you can be a part of this community and you can make natural connections with people. You can start relationships with people and they can mentor you. They can show you, yeah, look, here's what I learned about being a business owner. Or here's what I learned working as an engineer or doing this and that. But you have opportunities around you right now just in our church body to progress in your work, to find out, man, what does it look like to move to those next steps? Again, who, who's that person that you're raising up in your group? Who's been available to meet? Who have you even asked to meet the younger, the young buck, the freshman, the sophomore, whoever it is in your organization, your fraternity, your sorority? Have you even asked any of them to just hang out at some point, get coffee, get a lunch? Are you thinking about that next step? Are you thinking about who's going to work and where you've been after you leave? Elisha was faithful to the task at hand. He made himself available, sought opportunities to progress the work. He was also very teachable. See, when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha answered, may I receive a double portion of the prophetic spirit that energizes you. Now, Elisha's not asking to be like Elijah 2.0. He's not asking to be like, have twice the spirit as you, Elijah, you old man person or anything like that. It's not that. Some translations go that way. It's wrong. He's asking specifically for a double portion, meaning this is what the heir received. The first, your firstborn heir, your firstborn, firstborn son in that society, he would get a double portion of inheritance compared to everyone else. Why? Not because he was your favorite, not just because you were like, oh, Bahamabab, I love you so much. Like, I want you to be more comfortable than all of your brothers and sisters. No, you looked at Bahamabab, your firstborn son with an awesome name, and you gave him this double portion because it was his responsibility to carry forward the family name. It was his responsibility to continue the farm or the ranch or whatever you did. He was the one who was charged with carrying forward the work that was at hand, carrying forward on that mission, on that purpose, and on that goal. So you gave him a double portion. Elisha says, I want to be the next guy. I want to move in your direction. I want to do whatever it takes. I want to learn whatever it takes. I want to grow in whatever it takes to carry forward your mission and your ministry. And man, that's what you want. And someone that's coming up behind you, that's what you need to be as you're seeking to step into a new working role. Someone who's teachable. Someone who's willing to learn, take critique and criticisms and grow in the process. Here's what's going to happen. I am going to have to fix you, manage you to, on a more personal scale, a, a more micro form of management. Jim, what is that called? micro Boom. Yes. Now, Jim is going to be the client. Dwight, you're going to have to sell to him without being aggressive, hostile, or difficult. Let's go. All right, fine. <clears throat> bring, bring. Hello? Hello, this is Dwight Schrute from the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Wow, that's great, because I need paper. 
Excellent, then you are in luck, because we are having a limited-time offer only on everything. Wow, this is my lucky day. Ask him his name. What is your name, sir? I am Bill Baker. Really, that's your real name? How dare you? My family built this country, by the way. Be respectful, Dwight, please. Uh, uh, yes, Michael. Could you hold on one second? That's my other line. What? No, but I... Hello? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just on the phone with this stupid salesman. He's so dumb. Probably just going to keep him on the line forever and not buy anything. <laughs> okay. It's up to you to change his mind. Sorry. That was a family emergency. Oh, no. What's wrong? You know what? That's private. Boundaries, Dwight. Come I'm, on. I'm sorry, Miss. As I was saying, we're having a limited... Speak up a little bit louder. I'm hard of hearing. He's hard if he's an old man. Okay. As I was saying, right now, yeah, we're having... talk louder. Okay. Our prices have never been lower. Son, you have Sir, to talk louder. Never been lower. Louder, I, son! Our prices have never been lower! Stop it! That is totally inappropriate. You never yell at the client. You now never you listen to me, client. sir. Here we go. The three words I would describe you as is aggressive, yes. hostile, and definitely difficult. Please, Mr. Bob. I'm irate right give now. Give me the phone. Please give me He's another irate. chance. Give me, the, give me the phone. I have to put you on with my boss. Well, I should hope so. Who is this? Hello, this is Michael Scott, regional manager. How may we help you? Michael, I like the sound of your voice. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy $1 million worth of paper products today. <laughs> See how it's done? Thank you very much, sir. I don't think you'll regret it. You are the master. There is one condition, Michael. Yes. You have to fire the salesman that treated me so terribly. Don't do it, Michael. It's a million dollar sale. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever we're headed, man, we need to be people who are teachable. And it's going to be hard. At times when you ask good questions, you ask for advice, you ask for critiques, you know, you're going to hear things that you don't want to hear. You're going to hear uh, feedback that maybe doesn't line up with what you thought you were going to get. You're going to hear things that maybe rub you the wrong way. You're going to get feedback that maybe isn't even put very eloquently or very diplomatically. You're going to hear that you're difficult and hard and stubborn or whatever it was, aggressive. And you're going to hear that and there's going to be something within you that pushes against it. But I'm telling you, that's not someone who's ready to work. That's not someone who's ready to step into a, a, a mission already in progress. If you want to step into a purpose, into, a, into a, a mission, into a goal that's already headed somewhere, you want to be someone that's teachable, someone who's willing to learn and grow in that process, someone who is staying humble through that process, right? So you hear those things you don't want to hear, you just... you. You humble yourself in those moments. You say, you know what? I I need to hear this. I'm going to seek understanding and not to be understood. You walk into situations not trying to let people know what you think and how these things should work and how this should go with that and all this stuff. Instead, you walk in those moments and you just seek to understand what's going on. You ask good questions. And maybe in that process, as you raise good questions, maybe people will realize that there's not everything's perfect, not everything's wonderful, and there is room to change. But you don't go into it just laying down the law. You go into it asking me, well, Help me understand this process, this, this part of our organization, this part of our work. Help me understand this. As you're thinking about those people that you're going to raise up to fill your role, to, to, to walk up behind you, be looking for people that want to learn and, and want to grow, that, that take that advice, that take that critique. I'd encourage you as well, to, as you're moving forward, to surround yourself with like-minded learners, to sharpen one another people that want to learn and grow in the same ways that you do so you can keep each other accountable, so you can sharpen one another in your pursuits to urge each other and encourage one another towards those goals. Elisha proved himself to be someone who was faithful 
and available and teachable. And even then, when Elijah looked at him, Elijah heard his request. He, he heard, you know, okay, you want to be the next guy? That's great. But here's the thing. That's a really difficult request. But if you see me taken from you, may it be so. But if you don't, it will not happen. So essentially what Elijah says, another way you could translate this is, if you see me taken away from you, then the Lord has willed it to be. May the Lord make it so. In other words, he's putting it in God's hands. He's saying, you know what? I, it, to my knowledge, to my understanding, it looks like you're the guy, but ultimately I'm going to trust the Lord with this. I'm going to trust that the Lord has a plan, a purpose that's bigger than my own. And that's hard to do, right? When we fail to get that internship, when we fail to line up that job, when we don't get that position in our organization that we really, really wanted, it's hard to trust that the Lord has a plan and a purpose behind that. But he does. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a fiery chariot pulled up by fiery horses, or pulled by fiery horses appeared. And they went between Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah went up to heaven in a windstorm. While Elisha was watching, he was crying out, my father, my father, the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. And then he could no longer see him. So he grabbed his clothes and tore them in two. And he picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off of him and went back and stood on the shore of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen off Elijah, hit the water with it and said, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he hit the water, it divided and Elisha crossed over. Right here, we see Elisha start off on his own personal ministry, on his own journey, on his own purpose carrying forward the mantle, literally carrying forward the mantle of Elijah. And what's so beautiful in this is that it's, it's, it calls back our memories. It would call back the Israelite reader's memory to when Elisha and Elijah first crossed paths, when the Lord led Elijah to see Elisha working in a field. And it's in that moment that God says, this is the guy. This is the guy. Because in that moment, Elijah gave Elisha his cloak. See, Elijah went up from there and found Elisha, son of Snapchat, and he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen. And he was near the 12th pair. And Elijah passed by him and threw his rope over him. This is the moment where, Eli- where the Lord led Elijah to this guy, Elisha. And he says, this is going to be the guy. This is him. And so when we see Elisha pick up that cloak, strike the water, and the miracle occurs. God empowers that, that action to actually perform a miracle. I mean, th- this is awesome. This is validating action. This is a validating experience. And then we see Elisha move on. He goes to all these different places. He continues to work in the ministry of Elijah. And we get to see that Elisha really was the next guy because the Lord entrusted him to be that person. That God prepared him to be that person. Many times as we leave an organization, we leave a place, we graduate from a school, we, we hope that we're leaving things in, in good hands. Sometimes that next person, it's not someone that we would pick. It's not someone that we like. But we have to trust. No, the Lord's control this. Sometimes we think I'm, in, I'm moving into this, this step and I'm moving into this position for this purpose and we don't get there. We've got to trust. No, like, it's because God has a bigger plan. God has something better planned because we know through Scripture that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love Him. We know through Scripture that God is sovereign over all things. He's laid out these paths before us. So we trust Him. We trust him that he's preparing us to be in the purpose and on the mission, chasing the goal that he's laid out for us. What's beautiful is that we as believers always have this higher, better goal. We talked about it last week. We talked about it most weeks. But he's given all of us the ultimate goal of, of making him known in the world around us. Right When Jesus Christ was uh, finishing up his ministry, uh, he came, you know, he, he walked, he taught, 
Uh, he performed miracles. He healed. And he raised up this group of people to follow him, right? He raised these disciples and their families and these other people. And all these people would follow him. He had those 12 apostles. Within that, he had these three guys that he was really close with. He had this whole group of people that surrounded him. And then he died. And he was crucified. A lot of them scattered. They didn't know what to do. But then Jesus, three days later, he rose from the grave, proved his power over sin and death, showed them that, no, like I needed to die. I needed to be the sacrifice for your sin. This is all part of the plan. There was a bigger, better plan that you just weren't seeing. He tells him that. He reassures him that. He appears to over 500 people. He gathers up about 500 people over the next few days of his ministry. And then he decides, okay, this is it. Like I'm leaving you. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who dwells every believer. I'm going to send him to be with you. But in the meantime, I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in that moment, he gives him that great commission. He says, I'm going to, I want you to go out into the world. I want you to Tell people what I've told you. I want you to teach people what I've taught you. I want you to baptize people into my family. I want you to go forth and carry on this mission because I've chosen you to be my replacement. That's one of the reasons we're called the body of Christ because we're carrying out the mission and the purpose, the work that he started. It's who we are. The body of Christ. So I would just encourage you as you're moving forward in your next step, whether that's another year or two of college, maybe that's grad school, whether that's working in Dallas, Austin, out of state, wherever. As you move into those next steps, I'd say you want to be seeking the Lord. If you want to work well, if you want to work in a way that your faith is intertwined, you want to be seeking the Lord daily. You want to be serving others with your work. Mindful that it's not just me and God, and we're just kind of doing this thing, but there's people around you that God has specifically surrounded you with. So you want to work for the good of these people around you, to benefit these people around you. And I encourage you, no matter where you are, oh my goodness, please, 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 surround yourself with God's people. Surround yourself with like-minded believers who are wanting to seek that same God, who are wanting to serve those same people, who are wanting to learn and grow, people who are faithful and available and teachable, surround yourself with those people. Because the Lord's created us to live in community. I, in and of myself, am not the body of Christ, but we, together, are. The band's going to come back up, and they're going to lead us through a couple more songs. But I would just encourage you to take these last few moments and really ask the Lord, I mean, God, who, who's that next person? Who's that next uh, guy, the next girl, that person that could step up and, and take on this mission, carry forward this purpose that I've been carrying for the last couple of years. Who is that person? Open my eyes. And let me initiate a lunch or coffee with someone to step into that role that I'm leaving. And ask the Lord to show you, I mean, where am I lacking? Where am I not necessarily a, a good worker? Where is it that I'm lacking faithfulness or commitment? Where am I lacking that availability? Where am I missing out on opportunities around myself? Where am I not teachable? Is it that I'm just not seeking to learn? In general, I'm just burned out from school, and so I'm just I'm sick of learning things. Is it that when people critique me and give me healthy criticism, I just reject it? Ask the Lord to show you. Where, where am I headed? How can I learn? How can I grow? to be a better worker, ultimately for you. So let's go to him. Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. God, we thank you that you've given us this chance to, to gather together. God, and ultimately not to seek anything but you. 
Lord, we recognize that the things of this world pass away like sunglasses. Lord, we recognize that ultimately you are our good Father, Lord, who loves us, who sent your Son to die for us. Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that that, that gift of mercy that you've provided enables us to enter into fellowship and a relationship with you, allows us to become no longer sons and daughters, no longer children of wrath, but instead, Lord, we are adopted into your family. We are sons and daughters. We're children of the Lord Most High. God, thank you for that opportunity. If you would take a moment now and just ask the Lord, what's your next step? Is it to seek out someone to walk alongside of you? Is it someone that you can pour into and prepare to move forward in that purpose that's right ahead of you? Or ask the Lord to show you, is it something more personal? Is it something for you in particular, you individually, to learn and grow in? Your commitment to the task at hand, your, your availability to look for opportunities, your teachability when it comes to learning and growing. Ask the Lord to show you, what, what's my next step? Where can I go from here?